Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we have to study once more. Lord, thank you for bringing us together. And Lord, as we open your word, please open our hearts and minds to discern the truth that you have in there for us. Guide and lead us with your Holy Spirit. And please teach us from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening to everybody out there. Wishing all of you a blessed Sabbath and so glad that you can come and join us once more for our study in the wilderness wandering. Our study for this evening is entitled Balaam the Prophet, quite a famous character in the Bible, or I should say infamous character. And where we are picking up is really where we left off last week. The children of Israel, they've been getting closer and closer to the borders of Canaan already. We've coming to the end of the wilderness wanderings. We are close to the end of our series of these studies. And they are now right there, ready for an attack against the Canaanites. And this is what we read. This is where we begin. Numbers 22 and verse 1. Numbers 22 and verse 1. The Bible says, And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side, Jordan, by Jericho. They are camping right near Jericho, which was one of the strongholds of that country, which was heavily fortified. It would be the first conquest of the Israelites as soon as they passed over. However, we read there that they set up in the camp, or they set up their camp, pardon me, in the plains of Moab. God had told them, you remember, to pass through where? Moabites, the Edomites, and the Ammonites, but don't touch them. He was not going to give their land to the children of Israel. However, the favor had not been repaid in kind. What do the Moabites do? What are they planning? We read in Numbers 22, verses 2 to 6. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was sore afraid of the people, because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are round about us, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak the son of Zippor was king of the Moabites at that time. He sent messages therefore unto Balaam the son of Beor to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail that we may smite them and that I may drive them out of the land. For I wot that he whom thou blessest is blessed and he whom thou cursest is cursed. So Balak, he is the king of Moab and he's afraid of the Israelites. He knows that a supernatural power guards them. And so he tries to fight fire with fire. He goes to Balaam and he calls him and asks him to come and curse the children of Israel. Somehow, Balaam, he's famous for possessing some sort of supernatural power. And so he tries to hire him for help. He wants them to curse him, curse them, and so that their defenses would, would depart from them and so that he could come in and attack them and overcome the children of Israel. But let's keep reading. 
Numbers 22, verses 7 and 8. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand. And they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me, and the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. You know, Balak, he doesn't just send anybody. He sends the elders from Moab and also the elders from Midian, and they come with much rewards in their hands to tempt him to to come and help him. They want to pay him. They want to reward him for his quote-unquote efforts, right? And upon seeing them at his door, he tells them that he will inquire of God and ask him what he wants him to do. And so Balaam, he's not just some sort of wizard. He's not some sort of pagan person. He is actually a prophet of God, a prophet of God, the God whom the Israelites themselves worship as well. He knows the true God. And at this point, God still communicates with him. He, although, you know, he's infamous, we know that he's a bad prophet. But at this point in time, God still is communicating with him. And how do we know that he's a prophet of the creator God? When you look at how he calls God, that word God, he calls him Lord. And that word in the Hebrew is Yahweh, which is the personal name of God, Jehovah. So we know that he is a worshiper of the true God. He is what we would call today a Christian. And so how does God respond when Balaam comes to him and to seek him for an answer? What does God say? Numbers 22 and verse 12. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. So God tells him not to go. The answer is very clear. Why? Because the people whom he, well, Balak is trying to hire him to curse, they are blessed. And so the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian, they return back to King Balak without Balaam. However, Balak thinks that what? Balaam is playing hard to catch. He's playing tough ball. He, 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 hard ball, pardon me. He wants more money. So this time, Balak sends a different contingent back to Balaam. He's desperate. He needs help. He, he knows or he doesn't know because God had told him, hey, don't touch Moab, right? But he thinks that the Israelites are going to attack him. And so he's afraid for his own kingdom. But now we read in Numbers 22, verses 15 to 17. And Balak sent yet again princes, more and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus saith Balak the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me. For I will promote thee unto very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. So he promises rich rewards. He promises great honor. And how does Balaam respond this time? Let's keep reading. Numbers 22, 18 to 19. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God, to do less or more. Now therefore I pray you, tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. Balaam answers as if God's reply to him the first time was not clear enough. 
I mean, was he hoping that God would change his mind? They were blessed and and their situation was not going to change. God was the one who had blessed them. So when Balaam comes the second time, does God communicate with him? He does. What does he say this time? Numbers 22 and verse 20. And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, thou shalt do. So did you see this clearly, friends? God says that if the people would come and call him the next morning, then go with them. And look at the very next verse. What happens? Verse 21 of Numbers 22. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. We don't see anywhere here where the the princes came and called them or called him to go with them. The Bible just says that Balaam rises up and goes. Balaam just gets up and as if God had given him the permission, but no, God said what? If they call you, then go with them. But obviously, the opposite is, if they don't call you, then I'm telling you, do not go with them. But all we see here is Balaam just gets up and he leaves, as if God had already given him the permission to go. We can see very clearly that his heart was just set on going no matter what. He wanted that money. He wanted the riches. He wanted the honor that King Balak was offering to him. And we know this because we read in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, he says, he writes here, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. You see, Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness. He loved money. He was chasing after money. He was chasing after riches, regardless of what the Lord had told him. And so many of us, like Balaam, we chase after money. We chase after riches at the expense of our own lives and at the expense of our faith and faithfulness towards God. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 tells us, The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Notice the Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. It is the love of money. Many of us, we've gone chasing after money at the expense of our own souls, at the expense of our our wives or our husbands, at the expense of our, our children and our family. We think that money is more important. We think that we need to maintain a certain standard of lifestyle in order to live. Yet so many of us out there in the world live much poorer than our standards, but yet we love money. We love a standard of living. And so because of that, we have erred in the faith. Many of us have gone astray simply because of the love of money. And Balaam was just like this. This was the beginning of his downfall. And you know, friends, God often permits us to follow our own desires and also to suffer the result because he sees our our heart. Why? Look at this in what it says in Psalms 81, verse 11 to 12. But my people would not hearken to my voice. And Israel would none of me. So I gave them up to unto their own lusts, and they walked in their own counsels. 
You see, friends, God knows our hearts. He knows our desires. And often we go to Him in prayer, not really willing to listen or with a desire to understand His will and to obey Him, but rather we, we, we go to God in prayer trying to persuade Him, trying to influence Him so that He will give us what we ask for. He will give us what our heart's desire is. And many times, it's not what is best for us. And so God, he, he just lets us walk in the path of our own kindling. He lets us walk in the path that we desire, our wicked desires, because He knows our hearts. And many of us, we don't pray for our hearts to change. We, wanna, we don't pray for, for, for God's will to be done in our lives. We're praying that God's will would match our will, or rather, God would let us have permission to do our will and to bless us and to protect us even though we are outside of His will. But yet, God in His mercy chases after us. And that's what He does for Balaam. God confronts Balaam along the way. Let's keep reading. Numbers chapter 22 and verses 22 and 23. And God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. The donkey, not Balaam, the donkey actually sees the angel that is standing right there in front of him, ready to kill Balaam. Balaam's blind to it. Why? Because his desire for gain has blinded him to spiritual things and the, the spiritual battle that is taking place around him. He manages to get the donkey to keep moving forward, though. It goes off the path, but he manages to get the donkey to move back into that path on the way to catch up to all those elders and princes. But God is not done yet. He confronts him two more times. Let's keep reading. Numbers 22 24 to 27. But the angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself unto the wall and crushed, crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and he smote her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place, where was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. Two more times, this donkey sees that angel with a sword drawn. And unbeknown to Balaam, the donkey is actually trying to save his life, but yet Balaam is almost ready to kill it. So what does God do as Balaam strikes this donkey with a staff? Verse 28 to 30. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee, that thou hast smitten me these three times? And Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast mocked me, I would there were a sword in mine hand, for now I would kill thee. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am I not thine ass, upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever wont to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. You know, the amazing thing is not so much that God makes a donkey speak. The amazing thing is when the donkey speaks, Balaam actually speaks back 
to it. He is so consumed with getting his reward that he doesn't realize he's speaking to a talking donkey. He's speaking to an animal. But finally, what does God do? Numbers 22, 31 to 33. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thy ass these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. But the ass saw me and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain thee, yet saved her alive. God opens the eyes of Balaam, and finally he sees the angel of the Lord standing before him with a sword drawn, ready to kill him. The very thing that Balaam was angry at was was the, the very means of his salvation. If not for the donkey, Balaam would have already been a dead man. And of course, you know, we, we know that if God really wanted to kill Balaam, no donkey could have stopped him. But yet the donkey saw the angel and saved Balaam's lives, life three times. You know, friends, I want to ask, could it be that God has, has sent some sort of circumstance into your life? Maybe God has sent a person into your life to save you from trouble or trial or even destruction. And we come up to to, to, we come up at the end despising this person or this situation that we're in. This is what Balaam is going through. This is the case of Balaam. The, the donkey, even though it, it crushed his foot, it went off on the beaten path, it, it sat down. And Balaam was so angry with the donkey, but yet that was the means of his salvation. And maybe we've been blinded, so blinded by the world so caught up with our own lives that we don't see that we're headed for destruction and certain end. And so God sends someone to warn us or he, he, he brings a situation into our life that is not the most comfortable or the most desirable, but yet that very person or situation was the means of our salvation that God was working through that person or that circumstance or situation in our lives. And we end up getting angry at that person or that situation. We've got to pause to make sure that we have not made God's tool for our salvation our enemy. We've not despised his leading or even his blessing, even though it was a trial or something that went against our own desires. You know, finally, God gives Balaam permission to go ahead to King Balaam. Um, pardon me, King Balak. But there was one stipulation. What was it? Numbers 22.35 And the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I shall speak unto thee, that thou shalt speak. And so Balaam went with the princes of Balak. The words that Balaam would speak would only be the words that God allows him to speak. God would put his words in Balaam's mouth. And so even when, when Balaam finally arrived at Moab and he met King Balak, Balaam was careful to repeat what God had told him to the king. Look at this, Numbers 22, 38. And Balaam said unto Balak, Lo, I am come unto thee. Have I now any power at all to say anything? 
the word that God putteth in my mouth, that shall I speak. And so he reminds Balak very clearly, look, uh, uh, you want me to curse the children of Israel? Sure, I, I, I've come for that purpose, but I'm a prophet of God. And I will only speak really what God wants me to speak. And of course, you know, had Balaam had it his own way, he definitely would have cursed the children of Israel. But what happens? The next day, Balak takes Balaam up into the mountain where he is able to see the children of Israel so that he can curse them. But God comes along as well. Look at this. Numbers 23 and verse 5. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return unto Balak, and thus shalt thou speak. This is the instruction of the Lord, and, and Balaam is helpless to go against God's word. And so he blesses them. Let's read part of the blessing that he pronounces on them. We don't have time to read the whole passage, but we'll see enough to see that he goes against what Balak has in mind to, to show the children of Israel. Look at this, Numbers 23, verses 8 and 9. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the will hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. At hearing this, Balak is shocked. In verse 11 and 12, Balak says to Balaam, What hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse mine enemies. And behold, thou hast blessed them altogether. And Balaam, he answered and said, must I not take heed to speak that which the Lord hath put in my mouth? You see, Balak, he confronts Balaam and says, What are you doing? I, I brought you here to curse them, but you've blessed them instead. And Balaam simply replies, Look, I told you, whatever God puts in my mouth, whatever God told me to say, I have to say it. Balak, not believing that, you know, God is controlling his mouth, not believing that, you know, yes, yes, you're a prophet of God, but you, you're you're capable of cursing, surely, right? So Balak tries to do something else. Let's keep reading, shall we? It's quite comical. Numbers 23 and verse 13. And Balak said unto him, Come, I pray thee, with me unto another place, from whence thou mayest see them. Thou shalt see but the utmost part of them, and shalt not see them all, and curse me them from thence. So what does Balak do? He moves Balaam to another location where he can't see the whole camp of Israelites, okay? Only just a part of the camp. Maybe he's thinking that because he can see the whole nation that of Israel spread out below him in the valley there below, that Balaam became overwhelmed. And, you know, maybe he had the intention to curse them, but when he saw that camp, he was overwhelmed and instead he just blessed them by accident. And so now he can only see a part of the camp of Israel. What happens? Numbers 23, 16. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Go unto Balak and say thus. So God puts his word in Balaam's mouth again. And of course, we know the word that God puts in his mouth. He blesses them all over again. And once again, Balak is in shock and horror that Balaam is doing the very opposite of what he had intended him to do. He blesses them instead of curses them. And so this time, Balak's still not satisfied. What does he do? 
Numbers 23, 27 to 28. And Balak said unto Balaam, Come, I pray thee, I will bring thee unto another place. Peradventure it will please God that thou mayst curse me from thence. And Balak brought Balaam unto the top of Pia that looketh toward Jeshimon. So Balak, he moves Balaam again this time, and he's looking towards Jeshimon, which actually was a desert. They, this time, were not able to see the camp of Israel at all. And so Balak is thinking in his mind, okay, maybe it'll be easier this time, Balaam, for you to curse the children of Israel since you cannot see them, not even a little bit of their, their camp. He looks towards the desert, it's plain, it's empty. What happens? Numbers 24, verse 1. And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not as at other times to seek for enchantments, but he set his face toward the wilderness. So, so Balaam, even he knows that he's being controlled by God. He's under God's inspiration. And he, he just does his best. He's like, I'm not even going to go off and ask God what he wants me to do. I'm just going to try my very best to just curse the children of Israel. I'm not going to talk with God at all. But what happens? Verse 2 of Numbers 24. And Balaam lifted up his eyes, and he saw Israel abiding in his tents according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Do you see what happened here? Balak had just brought Balaam further away. He can't see the children of Israel. He, he's at the top of this mountain that's looking towards a desert. But yet in vision, God lets him see the children of Israel. And the Spirit of God comes upon him. And once again, for the third time, he ends up blessing the children of Israel again instead of cursing them. And upon hearing what Balaam says, all the blessings that come upon the children of Israel, how does Balak react? Look at this, verse 10 and 11. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam. And he smote his hands together. And Balak said unto Balaam, I called thee to curse mine enemies. And behold, thou hast altogether blessed them these three times. Therefore now flee thou to thy place. I thought to promote thee unto great honor. But lo, the Lord hath kept thee back from honor. He sends Balaam away in anger. And he does not give him any of the rewards that he has promised him. And so he just sends him away. However, before Balaam departs though, God speaks to him, through him, pardon me, once more. And this time, it is for Balak, for the Moabites. Look at this. Numbers 24 and verse 17. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. God gives a message to the king of Moab, to Balak, that his kingdom will be destroyed by the Israelites one day. The curse that he wished to pour upon the Israelites became a curse to him. He wanted a bless, he wanted a blessing for himself, but he got the curse. He wanted the curse for the Israelites, but they got the blessing. The curse that he wished on them became a doom to himself. Balaam would leave empty-handed unsuccessful of the mission on, on which he entered into to get his hands on that gold and that silver and that honor 
from the Moabites. Three times, Balaam tried to curse God's people, and every time, he was unsuccessful. God would take control of his mouth. But why would God do that, though? You see, it's because the children of Israel were right with God. The children of Israel were obeying God. They were being faithful to him. And as long as they were faithful to God, God would protect them from unseen dangers like the fiery serpents that we studied before, and even this curse as well. No power on earth and even in heaven could attack them and hurt them. You see, in Numbers 23, verses 20 to 21, the Bible says, Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, Neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. You see, God was with them. They had no sin. They had no perverseness, the Bible says. And so God would overturn the events in their favor. He would fight for them. He would protect them. He would help them from all these unseen dangers. Why? Because they were being faithful. There was no sin. There was no iniquity. No perverseness. No enemy, friends, can harm us as long as we are right with God. Which means whatever trial or tribulation that does come upon us, if we are faithful, it's because God allows it. If we are faithful and trials do come like Job, God has a reason and we've got to hold on and trust him. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is trouble coming upon us because We've walked outside of God's will and we've disobeyed him. We've been unfaithful. If so, then we must quickly come back to God. We must repent. We must ask him to forgive us and help us to make things right. We've got to make sure that we can be restored back to favor with him, right? However, if the trouble comes upon us and we search our hearts and lives like what Job did, and he could confidently say that he had done nothing wrong, there was nothing in his mind that he could see where he transgressed against God, then God asks us to be patient under suffering and trials. That even though he's allowed this trial to come upon us, he will see it through. He will help us. He will be with us. He will strengthen us. Only we have to understand what the lesson is in it for us. You see, God led the children of Israel to many trials, not just through trials, but he intentionally led them to trials so that they could grow. The dead end at the Red Sea, the bitter water, no food, the many different trials that when they were faithful to him, he still led them to this point, but he had a reason for it so that they could grow in their faith and their trust in him. And so God does do that for us. Trials do come. But we have to discern whether the trial was there because of our faithfulness or our unfaithfulness. And if we are faithful, we have nothing to fear because God is still right there with us as well. But if we're unfaithful and the trial comes, friends, then we've got to better run quickly back to God to ask him to forgive and to heal. And so we read of Balaam in Numbers 24, 25. And Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place. And Balak also went his way. Balaam would go home, but this is not all that we hear about him. You see, we're not sure if it was when he got home 
or when he was on the way home, that he came up with a plan, a new scheme as to what Balak could do to curse the children of Israel. He knew that God was their defense. He knew that even though he tried to curse them with his own mouth, only blessings came out. And so he could do nothing to hurt them. But he knew that if they were unfaithful, then the defenses that God had around them would disappear. And so Balaam had all he had to do was devise a plan to make them unfaithful, to lead them into sin. And so what happened? We read in Numbers 25, 1 to 3, And Israel abode in Shittim. And the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And the people, people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. You see, it wasn't by chance that the woman of Moab came out and enticed the Israelites into sin. God himself would destroy them. God himself would curse them. And friends, I believe that Balaam was probably behind this evil and wicked plan. Thousands would perish at the very borders of Canaan because they lusted after the flesh of women and committed whoredom, fornication, and adultery. You know, we read of Balaam in Joshua chapter 13, verse 22. Balaam also, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, did the children of Israel slay with the sword among them that was slain by them. You see, Balaam would also eventually be slain by the children of Israel. God held him accountable for his actions as well. And you know, friends, today I believe with all my heart that we are at the very borders, the edge of heavenly Canaan. But Satan, he's busy on the ground trying to ensnare people into wicked vices, the lusts of the flesh the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. He knows that if he can get us into sin, then God would remove his protecting care over us and we would be at the devil's mercy. You know, friends, we gotta ask God to help us to resist temptation, to give us strength to run away like Joseph did when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife. The weakness of the flesh is still the same today as it was 3,000 years ago and it's no different except that we are much weaker that we need more of Christ, more than any time in earth's history. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, flee also youthful lusts, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Friends, we need to flee youthful lusts today. We gotta call on God in, in every trial. He will help us. He will strengthen us. It is through Christ that we can be more than conquerors today. May God give us, each and every one of us, that victory because the devil, he's just trying to entice us into sin, ensnare us with the lust of the flesh. And if not that, the desires of the riches and the gold and the tinkling of this world. Friends, we got to be so careful with the lusts of the eye today. Many of us, we're still chasing after the world. We're not content with what God has given to us or blessed us with. We're not happy. And so 
at the expense of our spiritual lives, at the expense of our faithfulness to God. Many of us, at the expense of going to church and being there and being faithful on the Sabbath, we give up all those things just so that we can gain a few more dollars in our bank account. Friends, let us come back to God. Let us today make sure that we make God our number one, that we ask God to be with us and to help us, that we might have our eye single to the glory of God today. Jesus is coming soon. We got to be ready. Even in the midst of trial, we got to ask God to help us, to help us to be faithful. But even so, more in the times of peace as well. So may God bless each and every one of you, friends. May God be our helper, our not just our provider and sustainer, but a helper through every trial as well. Let us pray. Oh, Father in heaven, forgive us where we have just chased after the world's good at the expense of our spiritual lives, where we've not made you a priority in our lives, our number one. We put the world before you so many times, Lord, our entertainment, our money, our worldly desires, the comforts of this life. We've gone chasing after the world at the expense of our faithfulness to you. Lord, please help us to come back to you today. Help us to recommit our lives to you today. I know that you're ready and you're willing to heal and to help, but only as we desire it, Lord. And so, Father, please give us that desire. Implant in each of us your Holy Spirit again to give us the holy desires, the the, the heavenly desires, and the strength to turn away from this world. So guide us, Lord. If any of us are ensnared by Satan this evening, I pray that you would break those bonds, those cords that tie us to this world, that you would open our eyes and help us to see that there's a heavenly home waiting for us and that you're coming so soon. And so, Lord, we just surrender our lives to you again. Please, fill us, bless us, that we might have the desires of heaven in our heart today is our earnest plea and prayer. For we pray in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.